0: What's it like being a high school dropout, waiting tables for minimum wage, and then working your way into the position of sustainability superstar with a globally renowned brand? I'm not sure anyone can answer that question better than William Padilla Brown, who has been at the forefront of the mushroom revolution as a devout biohacker and citizen scientist implementing radical change by making science and broad-spectrum, whole-systems thinking accessible to marginalized communities around the world. Will joins us today to drop intel on the recent upgrade to the Mycosymbiotics Laboratory and to talk about his expanding presence and work in Puerto Rico, where his ancestors hail from, as well as to speak about the growing issue of censorship and deplatforming, which Will knows well, among other notable developments in Will's extraordinarily unique and impactful journey as a mycopreneur. Thank you everybody for being here today and please join me in welcoming William Padilla-Brown back to the Mycopreneur podcast. William Padilla-Brown, an individual who needs no introduction, you already know. Welcome back to the Mycopreneur podcast, Will. It's been an eventful year for mycosymbiotics to say the least. And for you personally with the addition of a baby girl to your family. So congrats for real, for real on that, bro. So let's start with Microsymbiotics, man. I noticed that you just moved into a new laboratory space. Why did you decide to secure a bigger base of operations?
1: Yeah, so I was, we were working out of my house for a while and it was getting a little cramped. And uh, I was starting to grow the team. And once I hired our graphics lead, when we hired Clint for this position, I was like, there's no way we're there's about to be three of us working out of my side room in my house five days a week, all day, especially with a little baby girl in the house and everything like that. I just, I I had to expand out. Uh, So we got this office. It's like, um, like 1.2 miles from my house. I ride a little electric scooter over in the morning now, so I'm not wasting no gas or anything like that. In here, we are keeping the brain of the operations. We have loads of whiteboards around so we can like uh, put all of the projects out on display because um, there's a lot going on. And really what the business is doing at this point is organizing the chaos of the past 10 years of my life because I've been on this like fringe of society trying to learn all these things that I thought was valuable that more and more people are starting to value now. Um, And I was doing it in a way that wasn't very like organized or business as usual or anything like that. So like, I developed a valuable business first, and now I'm trying to figure out how to do business.
0: Dude, I'm so inspired by you, man. I think that you're really doing it from the grassroots level, from the DIY hustle level. And that's such a valuable perspective to come with because as the industry of psychedelics and plant medicines gets bigger and bigger, so many people are coming from the opposite perspective where they know the business acumen and now they're just getting into something maybe they don't fully understand. And I think that's why we're seeing a lot of the mm-hmm. landscape play out the way it is. And that's what happens with cannabis from what i'm understanding talking to everyone there which is what we're hoping to avoid with plant medicines and entheogens and things like that and i want to i want to get deep right off the bat man and that's i've noticed that uh, you've been spending more time in puerto rico And to be honest, the first time I ever saw a picture of you on Instagram, you were doing DNA sequencing from a mobile lab in Puerto Rico with this beautiful view of the ocean there. And I was like super inspired, like I'd never seen anyone doing citizen science like that, much less in such a beautiful place and with such a mobile, handy setup. So I want to ask about your ongoing projects in Puerto Rico and like what are you doing down there? I've seen you've had a couple of workshops, you got another one coming up. And what are some of your long-term goals for your environmental and social activism in Puerto Rico?
1: My paternal heritage is, is from uh, Puerto Rico. We have indigenous heritage there. Um it actually makes up a significant percentage of our, of of my makeup. We we did one of those DNA things, finally caved and gave the gave the corporate overlords my genetic information, but uh um we figured out some good information from it and i also pinged like 200 other family members that already submitted their dna so i was like hey they could have pieced me together anyways that was that was enlightening so so the indigenous heritage is coming through strong there as far as any if anybody cares about numbers or if if it's about culture or anything like that but through the psychedelic experiences we've been able to tap into all sorts of information and and honestly um, through studying in Puerto Rico and understanding about the psychedelics that they that the Taino people use there and how potent they were, it, it started to make sense why these substances felt so familiar to me when I started using them at, a, at the age that I started using them at. So all that aside the personal stuff, I started traveling down to Puerto Rico with my lady. The first trip that we took down was was multi-purposed. One, I wanted to reconnect with who I am. I've been like on this search of discovery of self-discovery for a long time and it's like, all right, it brought me to the history of Puerto Rico. It brought me to understanding my family. I, I went and connected with my abuela in California and asked her about what it was like growing up there, asked her about her family, her parents, and all these kinds of things. And she told me about her her in, indigenous father that was growing sugarcane there and how her mother came from Portugal and how she, was, how she came to be and all these kinds of things. And I just wanted to learn more about myself, so I went there to, to do that. And um, also to reconnect with my lady, we had like a brief period where we went together and I was like traveling all around the U.S., doing a bunch of business and stuff like that. So it's been nice to like rekindle the family. And that was part of the reason why we went down there, just to like have a have an experience with me and my lady. While we were down there, I started to really connect with people that are living there. Puerto Rican people that are living there and the realities that they're facing there. So a lot of people look at Puerto Rico as like some island paradise and it's just for fun and like, oh, like we like Americans get these tax breaks. So all these crypto people are looking at this and that stuff. But nobody knows that the, that the people of Puerto Rico are actually facing all of these hardships, that there's active colonization still happening there, like we see in Central America, like we see in South America still. Like I live here in, in the Northeast and most people, because this place is fully colonized, Don't think that this is like, they think that, oh, colonization is a thing of the past. That doesn't happen anymore. But it's still actively happening with like money and laws instead of weapons. I mean, I think that they can be actively used as weapons. So as I started to see the hardships that different people were experiencing, I felt as though I wanted to offer some assistance in any way that I could. And I didn't want to like project and be like, all right, like this is what I see that is needed here. And this is what I'm going to teach about. So I just like took that opportunity to feel out like what's going on, what do people need, and what do I actually have that I can offer as a service to people here. A lot of people were interested in learning about mushrooms while I was down there. So I took the next opportunity to launch a mushroom class, and I taught about mushroom cultivation in the tropics, which is something that I've been very interested in, because when I was studying for cordyceps cultivation, I studied a lot from South Pacific Islands, where they developed a lot of outdoor tropical mushroom cultivation techniques that produce abundance of Uh, mushrooms outdoors way more than we than we're dealing with in these controlled indoor environments and nobody's doing this kind of cultivation in the west i don't know why everybody's spending so much money to build these big grow rooms and put all this energy into intensive controlled environments when when outside is providing us the perfect environment seasonally to grow all sorts of different mushrooms so i took that information and i and i launched the first like tropical focused mushroom cultivation class where we straight up like Took coconut water and used that for liquid culture and for our agar. And then we broke those coconuts down and used the husk to grow our mushrooms on it. It was like full, full cycle, uh, a lot of fun. And um, in that trip, I started connecting with more farmers. And I started to identify the tropical inputs for my family's life and for our business life that we're paying big corporations for on a regular basis that we don't want to continue doing that for. I don't own any land and I, wanted to, I want to buy land is something I've been looking to do with, uh, with myself for the past couple years. And I figured buying land in Puerto Rico would be the best for me and my family to return to the land that my family's from and to be able to offer services to the, to the people there. A lot of the farmers are also sending off samples of their coffee to Europe to get genetic testing, sending samples off Island of Chocolate to get genetic testing. So that's something that we can bring to the island and offer people there that reduces the amount of money that they're spending for it and also uh, gets them data faster. And it's something that's very that's really needed right now. So that's something that we wanted to offer to the farmers down there. And then we just started seeing permaculture as something that would be broad-spectrum broad well-received. So we launched a permaculture 101 class down there the last time we were there in March. And in preparation, it was kind of gauging out and filling out how everything would work out. And now we're going full-on into launching a permaculture design course down there to educate people and we've made it very affordable for, um, for people on Island, particularly to come in and offer some scholarships and things like that. Uh, and we're kind of using some funding for full like regular price tickets to, to bring this in. We're also actively looking for sponsors. A couple things that I want to hit before we go into the next thing about Puerto Rico, since it's so uh, connected to me in my heart right now, I want, I want to find space for my family. That feels good. Puerto Rico's the only place in the U S where my partner feels close to her family and comfortable with still having the amenities of the U.S. as growing up as a U.S. citizen. She hasn't had the experience of traveling internationally like I have in and the comfortability with that. Um, so in, uh, as, we, as we're growing together, uh, Puerto Rico seems like the, a very good fit. And for me, it's a place where I can go, where I'm still close enough to do the business that I have to do here in the U.S., where I can tap out of this day-to-day, Monday through Friday, I have to be on a schedule because that makes my consciousness go into like a, like, I'm looking at time in a microscope all the time, and I want to look out or look up sometimes. And, like, like, everybody just looks at time in the microscope if you're in the fast day-to-day schedule, whenever there's many ways that you can look at the experience of time. And when I'm in Puerto Rico, it gives me a broader spectrum of, for my consciousness, and I can take that time to, uh, to plan out my business more. It gives me, like, a bit, like, I'm, like, looking at everything from above or something. Like, the same thing that people do psychedelics for, I just personally don't do that much. I don't really trip that much. Like, everybody thinks because I'm in the psychedelic scene and all this kind of stuff that I must be tripping all the time or something. But, like, I had really potent psychedelic experiences when I was very young, and that was it. That's really what I needed, and now I just smoke hash. And, like, you know what I mean? So, like, but when I want to have those experiences or the different states of consciousness, I know how to put myself in different places that are conducive of me having those experiences where I don't have to, like, Sometimes tripping out in in Babylon is not fun for me. Like when I'm tripping out and I'm in racist Pennsylvania and I got to like be thinking about all those things, like while I'm trying to just be a goofball human, like I have to be like still like making sure everybody else is comfortable around me. So yeah, Puerto Rico feels good for me like that. And then the economics of it. So like I'm buying bananas, I'm buying coconuts, I'm buying chocolate. And and a lot of times when I'm doing this on a regular basis, I'm supporting companies like Chiquita, Bananas or Dole or... Are all these other companies that are actively doing things that i don't agree with in the world and for the rest of my life which may be very long considering modern medicine and considering that i'm healthy and considering that my unhealthy grandparents made it to 80 years old with diseases and things like that i might live longer than that so if i'm going to be in that, if i'm going to be buying bananas from them for the rest of my life if i'm going to be buying coconuts from them for the rest of my life i'm going to be giving them a significant investment to do things that i don't agree with and like that goes broad spectrum so i saw i see puerto rico As an opportunity for my community and my family to secure the inputs that we need for our day-to-day life without supporting industry that we don't believe in. So uh, we're going to take our time to farm down there and then utilize those products that we produce down there in our products, like our cacao product that we have through Mycosymbiotics, and then just in our kitchen for my family, whether we're in the US or not.
0: Hell yeah, and I know that food sovereignty and sourcing food and teaching people how to grow food is something that you're very passionately involved with. And I think that's a huge blind spot at large in our culture. We know that there's food deserts and a lot of inner city urban environments. Myself and my family, I grew up with a heavily industrial food supply diet. I think a lot of people in the suburbs did, and it was just normal. Like you go get your Franken chicken and like McDonald's on Wednesdays as a treat and stuff like that. And it took me a long time and it's still taking me time to kind of unlearn that and to deprogram and reprogram. And if you look at a lot of indigenous cultures, especially with entheogens, that was a huge part of like shamanic practice is that the diet was so integral. I think as like a lot of people start getting into microdosing or entheogens and things like that. Like that's such a big component that needs to be discussed is about the diet that you have, what you're putting in your body. And like I've eaten food that has actively fought with my body and suppressed my immune system and it's socially programmed. You know, I still respond to those social triggers when I'm at an event and I'm like, hell yeah, it's a Super Bowl. I'm gonna eat some buffalo wings and I'm gonna drink some Coke. Like, I know that's garbage, but our culture is set up in such a way that that is what is convenient and affordable for a lot of people. So, that's something I'm actively working through. I saw you make a post about a few different foods that really agree with you after many years of trial and error. And I think one was sardines, which I found really interesting (laughs) because I haven't really fucked with sardines too much, but I do eat a lot of cacao. I found nut butters to be very agreeable with my system, like uh, locally sourced peanut butter, sunflower seed butter, things like that. And dates. I love date fruits. I used to live in the Middle East and that's a big part of the diet. And like, I feel like dates can satisfy that sweet component. When people are craving a sweet, you can eat healthy and have a date and it's pure energy for you. So I'd just like to touch base real quick about like, What does your diet look like these days? Like, what are you eating a lot of? um, What's worked for you? And, you know, any other general notes you had about the the food system that we're dealing with, especially in the United States?
1: That's like the whole thing. The whole thing is like we're gonna be eating and and shitting for the rest of our lives. And like, that's like what everything is, is all about here. You know, like all of our adventures and everything like that, it usually ties back to some sort of food system. Or, or some sort of understanding of health, like some modality of health or, or consciousness in general. But like, whenever I first started having my, my first intense psychedelic experiences as a young person, and I started interacting with consciousness, like living consciousness for the first time, instead of using these old dead ideologies and stuff like that, I, uh, I was like, dang, my body needs fuel to handle this level of energetic experience. Like I, and like I didn't know how to like breathe prana or like meditate on the mountain and like pull pure energy out of, the, out of the ether or something like that. And like, I'm not, I don't doubt that that's something that somebody could figure out or something, but, uh, I, I was like, how do I get the n- nutrients? I like, I like I quickly knew that like, my body wasn't nourished right for me to be thinking the way that I wanted to think when I got glimpses of thinking differently. Um, so I didn't know how to eat. I grew up on oatmeal, cream pies, and lies, just like most people. Like, but both of my parents do not know how to eat healthy diets. Whenever I was growing up, um, and uh, that affected my health a lot. Like, like I don't tell that many people, but I felt more comfortable in myself to start saying it. But like, I, I didn't have regular bowel movements in my life until I did did psychedelic substances. I almost died multiple times from. From being constipated from the stress and from the nasty foods that people were putting in my body. Like so backed up that I literally almost died. Like that's a both a psychological and a physical issue. And I had to figure it out for myself. I left my parents when I was 17 years old to get my own place. And the first thing I did was figure out how to get as high as I could on cannabis. Cause when I was high is when I could think better. And the first thing I did was figure out how to make myself shit. Like, I literally had to figure it out as a 17-year-old. Like, nobody could figure out. No doctors could tell me that they would just give me medicine or this or that. They wouldn't tell me my diet was the problem. Like, so I had to find peace in myself. I started meditating. I did the psychedelics, and it was like, all right, when I put this food in my body, it makes me feel like this. If I put this food in my body, it makes me feel like this. And from there, I just started working off of that. And, like, I literally started growing the food that I needed because I couldn't go to the grocery store to get the foods that made my body feel the right way. It was like only for organic things and I couldn't afford it. I was living above a garage and serving tables back then. And then my girl got pregnant whenever whenever I was nineteen years old. And I was a high school dropout serving tables. Like people know that whole story, but like I was trying to grow I was trying to eat healthy. That was like a big thing that pushed us into this whole lifestyle. So I started growing the organic food outside. I started seeing the mushrooms growing in your in the compost and stuff like that. Changed my whole life. I never saw that shit when I was growing up. I didn't even go on hikes or go camping and shit till I was eighteen. So like that shit was like really, really foreign to me. Like like, my whole life was a trip back then. I'm literally looking at kale. I'd never seen kale before. That just trippy. You know what I mean? If you never saw it before, it's a whole new thing. So uh, from there, I just started playing and figuring out. Now my diet is pretty dialed in. I, I consume a lot of honey, mostly local honey. Um, I, I take a lot of charcoal capsules every day. I take Shilajit on a weekly basis, not every day. Um, I've been consuming molecular hydrogen on a daily basis, um, I read this really interesting book earlier this year. It was called Giza Industrial Complex, and it talks about how the pyramids are are hydrogen generators. Um, and I found that very inspiring and started consuming hydrogen water since then. Um, or, and then you can buy also like molecular hydrogen tablets from a couple of different companies that dissolve bubbles into your water. Um, I've been really enjoying that. Um, and uh, sardines, I keep regular like it's funny i usually eat sardines with some sort of spicy ferments like kimchi or something like that or pickles um and like or some and then some sort of carbohydrate like crackers or sourdough bread or something like that um i i eat local meat like grass-fed local meat luckily here in pennsylvania we have some farmers that are really dedicated to their production of, of food um so so whenever this global food thing starts happening we actually have some resilience here Um, so there's really good local meat that I can access. Um, my body usually wants red meat like two times a month. Um, I have a a local fishmonger that's one of my good friends that I, that I forage with and I'll usually get fish from him like two or three times a month. Um, I eat a lot of mushrooms that we produce, wild foods that we, that we forage all year, a lot of berries every day, uh, grapes. I eat a lot of grapes. So we're, uh, we planted some grapes this year. Um... And uh, lots of chocolate, lots and lots of chocolate. Um, what else am I thinking? Um, yeah, I don't I don't know any other weird, weird things. Um, I usually just base myself off of that. Lots of coconut water. Um, and that's why I said I need more coconuts and lots of eggs. I eat lots of eggs.
0: Well, shit, dude, I like that you mentioned the coming food shortages because I've been paying attention to a lot of that stuff. And global society and global economics is so intertwined. You would think that supply chain issues would be less prevalent, but it's the opposite now. And like now there's a gas shortage. And where I live, we have to get into a queue. We have to get in line to make sure that we have enough gas and like there's an oversaturated demand for it. And that's actually one of the things that pushed me into wanting to be more active and learning about mushrooms. I saw how resilient they are, especially in the face of human catastrophe and i know you're a fan of this book the mushroom at the end of the world right which is about the what is it matsutake supply chain those kind of things are fascinating to me and i've always noticed that like throughout history mushrooms and foraging have been an accessible way for more marginalized communities and people in general to not have to rely upon globalized hierarchical supply chains. And as we move forward, like you would think that technology would make things easier, but as evidenced from our little technical snafus at the start of the session, it's not always the case. Like technology does not always make things easier, especially when there's, you know, a few plutocrats or technocrats that are controlling how a vast amount of people around the world eat and think and live. And this kind of feeds into my next topic I want to Dive into which is about deplatforming, and that's something that has been happening at large to a lot of people. I know you recently were deplatformed, and I posted something about a viral video I saw on TikTok of just this like extremely obese man surrounded by McDonald's and food wrappers, and it went viral, and like people were sharing it and laughing at it, and I was just like, how is this shit going viral and permissible on these platforms when William Padilla Brown and the SF Psychedelic Society? and Mushroom Magic LLC all were de-platformed in the same week for teaching people about growing their own food, about growing algae, about mushrooms. And it's pretty obvious that there seems to be, from my perspective, like some kind of nefarious agenda in play. Uh, but yeah, what's it like being deplatformed, platformed And uh, what are some of the measures you're taking to ensure that your business and your brand and things like that continue to reach the people you need to reach? with this added threat of being deplatformed at any time for any reason?
1: The first time I got kind of like emotional about it, it's happened to to me three times on Instagram and I've had lots of censoring on other platforms, YouTube videos taken down, Facebook posts taken down, all sorts of stuff like that. I still can't go live on Instagram. And every now and then they disable people's uh, ability to comment on my posts or like my posts. Um, And sometimes when people comment on my posts, it comes up as at null. So like it, like for some reason it won't even show the people like, and like they asked me, why do I come up like this when I comment on your page or things like that? Um, so uh, at first I got emotional about it cause I was like, dang, like it took me forever to build this up. Like this is a big part of our business. We actually make a significant portion of our money off of like Instagram link clicks and things like that. Like, like not like, like we market through them, but like, I'll put our, like, like I don't pay them for marketing. And that's probably why they get mad at me sometimes. But like, I put my links to our business on our story posts or stuff like that, and people buy stuff from it. They'll go to our website and buy our cultures or something. Um, so it's been helpful, and it did get emotional for me the first time. The past couple times of being censored and things like that's like kind of funny, and almost like um, validating. Like like a lot of people were like, "Oh, you're you're really speaking the truth." If you get if they're shutting you down, and like there was also people that were starting to get skeptical of like because I've been interacting on such higher level platforms and with different people and stuff like that people are like like skeptical of me or something and like I get it like people think that there's like a some some cabal of like famous people that are telling them that the earth is round or something like that so like the other interesting things that happened was I started using telegram to and and maintaining a telegram group because I saw other people that have been deplatformed do the same thing there's this gentleman named David Wolf that a lot of people make fun of like, they made, like, a meme. Most people won't ever mention that, na- that name. They only know him from some memes and stuff like that. But uh, I used to look at his videos when I was younger because he was just on some crazy-ass tip literally traveling around the world foraging and shit like that. And um, I, whenever I first found his work, I couldn't afford Wi-Fi, and he came on an infomercial on public access television that I got through a satellite that was taped to my window. And he was, like, came on this Blender infomercial and was like, Superfoods and mushrooms and we're gonna put this wines main in this blender and da da da, da, da. and I've never seen anything like that I'm just like this poor like like I do not say poor kid But like I low-income kid working serving tables and I see this dude come on talk about all the shit I'm trying to like heal my gut and stuff like that and So I, I look up on my phone about him and I he has like mad YouTube videos About health like superfoods like eating good like drinking clean water and all this kind of stuff and they took his whole thing off of YouTube like t- over ten years of videos and, like, he straight up was, like, yo, like, like, y'all deleted my videos. Like, I literally didn't even have those anywhere else besides on YouTube. And so, like, and he's, and he's also been, like, sued by large companies. He's had, like, lawsuits against Monsanto and stuff like that. So, like, I looked up to him as, like, as, like somebody that has actively taken steps towards, towards these things and fought against the beast that's, that's literally deplatforming us right now. Um, so he had this, he has a Telegram group of like a hundred some thousand people like like multiple hundred thousand people that's on his Telegram group and I was like, all right, this this might be the move if they keep trying to take me off to have a Telegram group where people can go. So like I had an example to use to to know how to like deal with with uh, moving your platform if you're getting deplatformed. So like I got a couple hundred people on Telegram, and that got interesting because people started going off like they started talking about all sorts of things. Like I had to make two Telegrams. Because the first one I had was accessible for people to, to message back into. So it's like a group of a couple hundred people that are all just like on the fringe of society, like throwing all their ideas from mad different directions that people have never seen before. So it gets a little funny in there. Like sometimes people like start going in on a religious tip or this or that. And like the whole reason I'm on there is to not be censored. So I'm not going to censor anybody. So it's just like real interesting to look at that one sometimes. Um, and then I have a private one where I can use that. Um, so yeah, DD platform—it sucks because your message doesn't get as far. It's also validating to the to the to a lot of people for for whatever reason. People like were like, "Yeah, you're legit now," like or whatever. And yeah, we just needed we need new platforms because these these guys are playing games. Uh, the, my first my first interview with Vice that went went like big or whatever was for Snapchat specifically. And they wanted me to talk about um, uh, POC uh, activism and going viral on TikTok. And I didn't care about either. Like, I'm, like, I'm not like, I don't care about those things. Like, like, that's like a really brash to say, but like, I'm focused on science and mushrooms and stuff like that. I'm not like an activist for POC rights. Like I'm not very well versed enough on that kind of stuff as somebody that would, that would like make it their for the front of their life or their career to be like a, poli- a political activist in that sense. So I'm just like, I'm like, you're barking up the wrong tree. Like, I don't have like that much substance to give you on that. How about we talk about mushrooms? And they just kept asking me these questions. And I'm just like, yeah, all right, guys, that's not for me. Like, so I kept like the the interview ended up going like an hour or something, like way longer than they they originally told me because they only needed like five minutes or something. And they took that whole thing I said and chopped it up. So I said about whatever they wanted me to talk about. And that was the first time I ever seen anybody do that to me. And I was like, if, if Vice is going to do this to me for a five-minute Snapchat video, what are they doing? What is everybody else doing for all of the actual things that really matters? Do you know what I mean? Like, I've seen, I've seen my buddy is good at graphic arts, and he did this one time, uh, this test thing, where he showed a real picture, and a picture he made back-to-back on his Instagram story, and then he would say, which one is real, and which one is is a CGI? And I failed every single one. Me! Like... You know what I mean? And I'm just like, yo, if I can't even look on the
0: screen and tell what's real, like, I, you know, what I mean, that's where I'm at. my background is in media studies. And that's one of the first things that they teach you is that media is a packaged product. You know, it's not what happened. It's what suits a particular agenda or what hits a particular target audience. Now I'm in this position where I'm like interviewing people and I'm kind of created my own platform. And that's something that I think is increasingly important is media literacy because especially like moving forward to the next political election in the United States, like look at the shit that happened in the last couple of years and in the run up to the last election. And now we've got deep fakes and you've got, you know, extremism countered the other side of that being deplatforming and censorship. And we've created this really fertile environment for a lot of things to go wrong for our misinformation and disinformation and you know i don't have any clue what the run up to the next couple of years and the political elections and all that are going to look for but are going to look like but i think that media literacy and like knowing how to spot bias and knowing how to deconstruct something you see and not take it at face value is a super important skill that i want to try to you know teach people i used to teach multimedia in high school and that's what we focused on a lot is like there's simple commands that you can do where you can change the HTML and an article online and change the headline and then take a screenshot and share it. And that's like my students would do that so you could create your own fake news. And I would have them just like, you know, send it to friends with permission or whatever. Um, And people could not spot what the fake article was. And I just think that that's really important to look at. And it's like, You know, because people benefit from that silent actors and nefarious actors will benefit from the fact that people are disoriented, confused, not sure what information is correct and what is not correct. So that actually leads directly into the next bit I want to talk about. You've been involved in so many pursuits, which is something that's made you stand out to a lot of people, myself included. And one of those that's unusual for someone your age, I think, in general, is politics. Like, I've seen you up in the communal political hearings and at the open forums, making sure that your opinion is heard. And I know that there have been struggles in the past with, like, you feeling like people don't take you seriously when you go into these local political forums and whatnot. Is that something, I know you just kind of answered this, but have you ever considered running for office or getting more involved in local politics or is that totally off the table?
1: I don't know if you know or not, but I ran for mayor when I was 23, of New Cumberland. Before I went public, like, like really public, I didn't give a fuck about social media. Like I was tripped out, bare feet on the ground, redesigning my whole town for my kid. Like, like there was no distractions. I I puked up culture hard like I like as soon as I tasted the psychedelics I saw that there was bullshit programming in my brain and I was like you don't fucking get to exist here you didn't you fucking have no rights to exist here you fucking you put yourself into my innocence you ruined my fucking innocence and I puked that shit out I got so mad at it I took 700 micrograms of LSD I was like you're fucking gone I'm gonna kill you and like and I got rid of that cultural programming. I was on this whole tip of like ego death and all this kind of shit. And that, before I realized that that was just like a regular function of reality. But like, I started getting rid of like all that Disney shit, all these commercials that fucking they put in my brain, all this MK ultra shit that they had from watching TV when I was little. I, I grew up super patriotic. I lived in military bases with my dad when I was little. My mom works for, as a diplomat for the USDA and she's done, she's done deals with large corporate international organizations that are nefarious. And 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 I when I became aware that that's what my mom was doing, and I confronted her about it, I got confronted with mind mind washing shit from all of the meetings that they sat her through and all this kind of stuff. And like I had to show respect for my mom as a single black woman putting us all through like good schools and stuff like that. Like I have like two brothers and two sisters on on her side, and she took care of all of us. So like to some extent, like I'm just like all right, like you know it's my job to like do better for, like, how, how we got here. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, like, part of the reason why I feel like I got to give back for, like, for, like, the fact of, like, how we even got here. I think that it, we will give it some time. And the reason I was going on that whole rant is just, like, after I puked up all that culture, I didn't want anything to do with it. So I thought social media, I, I knew that social media was so bad, I didn't even want to interact with it at all. And so I, I denied it. I denied a lot of culture to the point where I was unrelatable. Like, not many people could relate to me, and I was very lonely in my ideas. Um, And I started redesigning my whole town. I studied the history of my town from the point of colonization, from the point of indigenous contact. I studied the, the ecology of it through deep time and figured out the best way to restructure our urbanized area and our communal social systems into the future to make sure that we bring ourselves back into seven generations. I spent years of my life doing this from the time I was 17 until I was like 20 something. until I was 23. I presented all these ideas. I had a I had an effort called sunny yards, New Cumberland. The acronym was sink. And it was like a full, a full program that I had set up with initial funding that wouldn't require any tax money to create jobs in my town, to create small farmers markets, to create uh, uh, free clinics, to create tiny homes. Like I had everything set up for this. I still do. And, and we're now taking, these plans that I have international, because where people don't value it here, there's places in Africa and there's places in South America that never industrially developed that are ready to hire us as consultants to go implement green, sustainable, societal development goals and, and systems, which we literally have like years and years of, of actual blueprints, actual things that I've, that I've spent my life working on. Um, so yeah, I would, I would run politically but when I'm older. Right now I have way too much work to do and a lot of things that we need to show the world before the world will see me the way that I see myself. Because I already know where, who I am. And once the world can see that through my actions over a long period of time, right now people, the world's seeing me from 10 years of staying true to what I believe in. Since when I was 18 and I took that dose and I finally puked out the culture, and I started Mycosymbiotics, I haven't changed my mission the whole time. I've been doing the same exact thing. So those actions stand through time for people to see you beyond your words.
0: Yeah. And I think that those actions are going to manifest in a very important communal gathering in the near future called MycoFest. So let's tap in about that. I hope to make it out there as soon as possible. And I see it's coming up quick. And I I believe you've even got, you've got Josephine Nakakandi from EcoAgric Uganda. That's a big power move right there. Congratulations. And thank you for Bringing her out—that's fantastic. I think uh, my buddy David Poplin's going to be out there. I saw probably Reggie's going to be out there. So let's tap in about MycoFest because uh, from all the different conferences and events that I've seen, I've been to a few. I was at Oakland High Face, California, psychedelic conference. I've been—I saw you at Telluride. That's a good one. Been to Meet Delic, but like MycoFest kind of has its own thing going on, and I really appreciate that you've designed it so that it's accessible by public transit too, and are bringing people like Josephine out. So like. What's going on at Michael Fest this year, and are we going to hear some new It's Cosmic music drop there?
1: I don't know about the It's Cosmic stuff. We've we've been working, not playing as much as I'd like to, but uh, we I may I may perform a little something, something. Um, but uh, yeah. So Michael Fest, I started Michael Fest in 2015. Same year I started Michael symbiotics Um, I started Michael Fest because I couldn't afford to go to Telluride. Like I'm just like a young kid in the Northeast, Mid Atlantic, and like. Uh, My first permaculture design was called non-traditional independent education systems. Because I dropped out of high school, but I didn't want to stop learning. I didn't agree with our higher education systems in the United States of America. And I didn't want to take on debt into my family to gain a higher education that was limited in its focus. Because I knew what I wanted to learn. But if I went to higher education, they would make me learn all this extra shit and just to get a degree in one thing. And I wanted to learn about algae, and mushrooms, and molecular biology, and this and that, and this and that. So I had to develop my own education system to even figure out how to do that. And, and part of my part of developing my course curriculum is I would find authors and different um, thought leaders or scientists or practitioners of different modalities that I was trying to learn about. And oftentimes, pe- pe- professional people will go teach workshops around at different events, just like, like we do. Um, and you can go build yourself a curriculum by learning from them at different places and, and building a course of like, I'm gonna take this workshop here and I'm gonna go listen to this talk here and this and that. So that's how I taught myself things. If I couldn't read and learn off the computer myself, I would go to a workshop at a festival and like just straight up either sit at the workshop or ask these people questions afterwards. Um, and I wanted to go to Telluride cause I couldn't afford to learn all the things about mushrooms that I wanted to learn as a young man, I knew that this mushroom industry was emerging and there was particularly specific techniques that I wanted to learn that people were teaching about at Telluride. And I'm like, looking at the ticket prices, I'm looking at airplane costs, I'm looking at hotel costs, and I'm serving tables and barely can afford rent, making like $20,000 a year out here. We got like seven twenty five dollars minimum wage. And if you work as a server, you get $2 and like 25 cents and you got to work off your tips. So I was like, really out here just like, Oh, can I really afford to spend like a like over a thousand, multiple thousand dollars to go to this mushroom conference? Nah. Um, and that's just real. And I love Telluride, and that's no shade to Telluride because what they've created and what they do is is monumental. And it and and that's why it costs money. Um, but I knew that being here in central Pennsylvania, not a lot of people know that Pennsylvania touches more states than any other state. Um, and it's very easily accessible to New York City, DC, Baltimore, uh Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. Um, so I knew that I could get access to a lot of kids to come here. So I started my own festival just with regional speakers at first. I, I just got people who come from New York, from like North Carolina at the first, at the farthest, um, to come teach. Um, and so, yeah, I started that in 2015. Every year it's grown. We've had, um, uh, help and direction from a lot of different people like, um, Olga Sogas and Cassandra Posey and, and different people have come in throughout the years and like, um, you know added their additions to it. Um, it originally was called the Mycosybiotics Mushroom and Arts Festival. In uh, 2018 or 2019, we changed the name to MycoFest. And uh, you know, now it is what it is. We got three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, first weekend in August every single year, classes from the time you wake up till you go to sleep, forays with international experts in identification of wild species. Um, this year we got school buses that are gonna be taking people from site to foray sites. Um, uh, camping. Uh, we got amazing vegan food, different omnivorous food options. We got a full-on marketplace of entrepreneurs showing how they're doing business and how they're sustaining themselves and their families, doing all sorts of interesting arts and, and regenerative businesses so that people can come and actually see like, not only can I learn this stuff, but there's actual real world models of, of, of people that are living and breathing that are doing these things that I want to do with myself. So like, it's like, a really unique place for that um and then we tie it all together with live art and music that's like resonates with with us because like i will go learn at these different scientific events or these farming conferences and they'd maybe doing like hoedowns at the end of the night or it'd be like some like bluegrass shit or something like that and i'm not saying that it's like that's that that's like not cool or anything like that but that does not represent me where i'm coming from out here like philly baltimore type energy new york city type energy like We out here, like, vibing you. I mean, we want to bounce. What are you talking about? Like, just because we are learning about some nerdy science doesn't mean that we're still not representative of who we are. We are out here listening to hip-hop. Like, you'd be looking at people's lab videos, and they'd be, like, blasting some hip-hop and shit while they're doing Petri dishes. You know that's way more of the case than not. So, like, so we've just been representative of that. We've done hip-hop shows, at at, like, every night at our festival. People play drums. We have fires at night. So, like, there's different, like, little micro-communities and cultures that even start to create um, in, in the festival. Um, and it 's just like a zip file of information conducive of new realities. It is, it is the dissemination of the biocomputer keys to our consciousness time zone in a space that we 've created here in central Pennsylvania.
0: Fuck yeah, man. I can't wait to check it out. If not this year in the near future, it sounds like you'll keep it going for a while. So you've given us some awesome discourse today, which is always a guarantee when you've got William Padilla Brown on the program, you're going to get into some heavy discourse quick. So I'd like to wrap it up with asking you if someone's a newcomer to the entrepreneurial plant and fungi business ecosystem, and they're genuinely committed to starting a business to uplift their self, their family, their community, Where's a good place to start to ensure that they have a successful chance at becoming a micropreneur?
1: I think one of the best places to start is with permaculture. That's what I did. Um, staying focused just on mushrooms is very powerful and very, very important. But we have to understand that nothing exists at surface and nothing exists in, in a bubble. So if you're gonna be growing mushrooms, you're gonna be interacting with different types of life. You're gonna be interacting with social systems and ecological systems. And I think that it's important that the individuals that are seeking to create businesses in this, understand the dynamics of the interactions outside of of their work. Um, I think in doing this, it helps create more relationships of energy exchange so that we can keep wealth current we call it currency and it's most effective when it's moving and a lot of people seem to be addicted to the idea of storing and stockpiling a lot of it when it's most effective when it's moving so i think that understanding a permaculture approach which is just a whole systems approach it's understanding the whole system of of your interactions um i think it's a great place for people to start to create sustainable m- mushroom businesses, because in mycosymbiotics has been in operation since 2015. Since then, I've seen a lot of mushroom businesses come and go, and that's not even that long. Um, but, we, but we've stayed here with resilience because the model of our business is sustainable through permaculture design. If you, if you do true permaculture design, what you design will inherently be sustainable. Um, so I think that people should take a, a whole systems design approach approach to how they develop their businesses, and recognize the business as how you're going to be spending your lifetime.
0: That seems to be working out so far for you, man. So again, thank you very much for coming back on the podcast and bearing with the technical difficulties at the onset and looking forward to touching base with you at some point in the near future, man. You're always welcome to come on anytime you have something you wanna share and I wish you continued success and good fortune and congratulations on the addition of a new baby girl to your family.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for giving me a platform for my voice.
0: Okie dokie karaoke. What did you all think of that episode? I'm learning so much every time I host a new Mycopreneur, And that's what it's all about. If you ask me, ongoing personal research and development, which works particularly well with the network effect, just ask the mycelium. You can reach me at micopreneur at gmail.com, micropreneur podcast on Instagram, or www.micropreneur.com. Thank you sincerely for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as I've enjoyed producing this episode. Take care of yourself and don't be a stranger. Peace, everybody.